This is the 68th edition of WFAE Talks. I'm News Director Greg Collard. I'm joined by Assistant News Director Lisa Worf and our Money and Influence reporter Tom Bullock. What a week, guys. I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> it's been a crazy week and a crazy week for Tom. A crazy week for America. Let's face it. This is... I mean, how often do you think about, like, the Pope emailing responses to Donald Trump who had Twittered, or tweeted responses about the Pope? And that was just like, you know, the gravy. It's just been nuts. Yeah. <laughs> Donald Trump's basically trolling the Pope all day after the, the Pope says something about uh, Trump's uh, stance on immigration. And it's I just, heard, it's crazy. I heard it's a BBC so report uh, last night and, and they had the, the tape of the Pope, you know, saying anyone who doesn't, you know, who wants to build a wall between peoples is, is not Christian. And then they said, uh, Trump never won to turn the other cheek. (laughs) 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 So that's a pretty good response. My favorite response. Transition. Oh, yeah. My favorite response so far was actually um, at NPR. They they received a comment of with one person questioning the uh, whether or not the pope's comments were fair and questioning whether or not the pope was Christian. So there's that. (laughs) That happened. That's a thing. (laughs) Well, well, we'll get into a little bit more of South Carolina politics and elections this in, a, in a few minutes. First, there's another big story we've been on this week. They're the redistricting of North Carolina that really shakes up our congressional districts. That's if the U.S. Supreme Court refuses to put on hold a lower court's order to drop new districts for this upcoming election. All this because that lower court found the 1st and 12th congressional districts are unconstitutional because they rely too much on race and informing those districts. And we're still waiting on that uh, Supreme Court decision. And the deadline for the new maps was today. They've also had quite a day, too, with Scalia yes, they lying have. in repose. So, yes. That has probably affected things. Yes, yes. <laughs> it, it affected things today and probably going into the future with many decisions. So, Well, obviously we expected changes. So the Republicans have gone ahead in case the Supreme Court refuses to grant this uh, this stay. Um the, the Republican leadership in the General Assembly has went ahead and uh, drawn up new maps, and now they're approved. And boy, we expected some tweaks, obviously, but I think and I think that was assumption. They would just be tweaks to the maps, not a complete overhaul. I mean, basically, members of Congress would be essentially serving new districts. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. I mean, it, let's take one in particular, which is the 13th. Now, for our listeners in Charlotte, the 13th, the North Carolina 13th Congressional District is not something we're usually you know, aware of as much because it used to be north of Raleigh. And now it would move 100 miles west to basically be, you know, north of Greensboro, Winston-Salem. Basically, it actually, not even basically, realistically, the 13th Congressional District would be home to Alma Adams, who is the representative for the 12th Congressional District. Um, we really did expect kind of nips and tucks. I mean, my favorite response, and I had to start the piece with it because it was hilarious. Um, when I called, um, you know, Michael Bitzer, who is uh, a great political scientist, but also uh, does the party line blog here. Mm-hmm. Um, I called him up and I said, so you see the map? He's like, oh, yeah. And I asked him what he thought of it. And uh, I almost I swear I could have heard his I heard his jaw drop. <laughs> <laughs> and then he just said, wow. Um this is really a big change. It really is a big change. And we knew a lot of congressional districts would be affected any, either way because, the, because of the shape of the 12th and the 1st uh, congressional districts. The 12th, which uh, currently 
starts in Charlotte and then kind of slithers its way up I-85 to... A little bit north of Greensboro. To a little bit north of Greensboro. Uh, it's a snake, if you want to visualize it that way. The first congressional district, it's an octopus, if you want to stick with the animal themes. Um, so tweaks would have to, you know, obviously affect a few other districts. But, yeah, they just... They did significant changes to every single congressional district, save one, which is in the far west of uh, North Carolina. And even that one had some changes. So they just basically drew a whole new map. Yeah, the 12th district now is with entirely within Mecklenburg County. Not all of Mecklenburg County, but maybe three-quarters of mm-hmm. Mecklenburg County. I don't know what the racial makeup is now of that district. Has I, that I believe been it's 49-point-something percent. It's less than 50%. Okay, and the, they got— the, I, should, I should clarify. It's less than 50% minority. Okay, and the, and the Supreme Court—or not the Supreme Court. The federal court had a problem with the— um, uh, with the previous uh, district because it had more than 50%. That was uh, that was African-American. And specifically, uh, as you stated when you started the podcast, it wasn't the percentage so much as the fact that race was the deciding mm-hmm. factor right. in forming yes. those. It's a process called um, packing, where you, mm-hmm. you take minority voters and you pack them all into one district. And the argument goes... That if you do that, basically what you've done is you've uh, you've minimized their representation in Congress, and this is but this whole thing is very tricky. Um, it, it's a really complicated case, and at times it is even the law seems contradictory. Um, take this the Civil Rights uh, the the Voting Rights Act rather mm-hmm. the 1968 Voting Rights Act. It um, mandates that you have a fair representation, basically that you um, have districts where minorities are, in fact, represented. You know, mm-hmm. they want minority members of Congress. But in doing that, you almost have to create minority districts in some places. But that is also not necessarily legal, depending on the interpretation. So it's a really complicated mix. And adding to that yeah, is the undeniable fact that the the U.S. Justice Department approved the current map back in, mm-hmm. in 2011, which is part of the state's, you know, plea in terms of hoping for a stay in their plea against the case, which they lost to the federal judges. So now less than 50 percent minority uh, for the 12th district having being all in, in uh, Mecklenburg County. That means um, – Alma Adams doesn't even live in the district. That op- opens up an opportunity for someone like Malcolm Graham, who ran it for the for the twelfth in the first place. He's from Charlotte. Uh, makes you wonder if he if this is an opportunity for him to run for office. He's, he's certainly been tweeting <laughs> yes, about it. Exactly, yes, he, he has has taken notice. And and it makes sense because you know Alma Adams, the the incumbent, her power base really is like north of Greensboro, yeah. Winston Salem. Malcolm Grant's power base is now basically the heart of this new 12th district. Right. So exactly. when he tweeted out, I saw that he tweeted out the the night the, nap, the maps came out, and uh, he's like, ah, I wonder if it means new opportunities. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, we're, we're, we're waiting <laughs> to sure, see what you yeah. do there. We're curious to see if it does. And then Pittenger, he's basically w- would represent uh, a little bit of Mecklenburg County, the southern part, and then and then the district stretches east along the South Carolina border to a lot of rural areas that he doesn't currently represent. Yeah, and you've got um, Richard Hudson, who's got a district that now stretches way farther east as well. I mean, it's it's really complicated for these candidates. But here, as if that wasn't enough, here's where things just get nutty. And this is all – this isn't shenanigans. This is just what happens when you have to change congressional districts or you choose to change congressional districts this dramatically. So – if you're a member of Congress, all the people that we've talking about are doing this right now. They're running for re-election. So they're, they're on the ballot for the March 15th primary, which is when every other contest is, is going to be held. Now, 
they still have to campaign in the districts they're in because they've already filed. And if the Supreme Court stays this decision by the three federal judges, then that election, the March 15th primary, will be, in fact, the primary. But if we don't hear from Justice Roberts, who will be the one to issue the stay, most likely, if it is issued, um, then that campaigning for March 15th is all for naught because then they have to refile Mm -hmm. and run for a, a June 7th primary. If you can take notes, it might help you follow along. And at also when they uh, they're going to the state has to reopen filing the filing period so different candidates can apply to run for different or file uh, and declare to run for different seats. And complicating that even further is anyone who is running for any other any other elected office in the March 15th primary can also then file to run for Congress, which means they can win one primary, run for Congress. And if they win that primary, they get to pick which office they are going to go for. So it's, it, it's I mean, I said this on, on our Charlotte Talks Roundup, it's going to get really, really bumpy. And in some districts, like the 12th or the 13th, um, you easily could see one person on the ballot March 15th campaigning until the last second. No, Let's say no stay comes in, and then a whole new set of congressional uh, wannabes moving in and saying, nope, nope, now vote for me. So have we heard anything from... Congress folks not, not. about this? Because I know like Elma Adams sends out a bunch of press releases and I don't think I've seen a one was, on this. And I know you were trying to get a hold of her office earlier this week and it sounds like that was a no-go. Well, I was trying to get an interview. They did send me a statement, but the statement didn't really say a whole lot. What the Basically what it said is that the you know North Carolinians um, will remember her you know years and years of public service. It really... Wow, that sounds almost like a obituary or like a, <laughs> or a fair... Like we're still trying to figure out exactly what, what we're, what we're going to deal with here. But it's really tricky for them because you have to be careful what you say. You don't want to make it sound like you're running for one sure. congressional district. Sure, it's a very tricky situation. And, and, I mean, run like, again, with Alma Adams, let's say, you know, she currently serves the 12th district. Well, she's currently running for the 12th district for re-election there. But she may actually want to run for the 13th. But she would have no no chance in the 13th, right? That is a Republican well, that's the design district. But that's also where she her power base is. And here's the trick. The, the current uh, representative is a Republican from the 13th. But again, his power base was in Raleigh, north of Raleigh. So he is not as well known as she is in the 13th. Yeah. Now, voting trends in the past show that it should be a Republican district, but it could be seen that she could be the better known name and may in fact pull out an upset. Or you could also have, boy, I feel like I'm just, it's like, but wait, there's more infomercial time. (laughs) Um, You could also have a new Republican who is better known there um, enter the primary race for June 7th and run against the incumbent. I mean, it's just, there's so many moving pieces that it's just hard to imagine how this is not going to be a bit of a mess. And don't forget, we are still waiting on a decision about voter ID. That's still in the wings. So we could have yet another change to this already, seems like, (laughs) constantly changing primary season. It it seems like in some cases, it, it opens up opportunities for the opposite opposite party. Like there's a uh, in some Republican districts, Democrats might have a chance, and some Democratic districts, like the 12th, where Republicans were just had no chance at all. Although it's still a Democratic district now, if this map takes effect, 
it's not like a, a Republican candidate would not um, w- would be irrelevant. I mean, it's still a cup, it has northern Mecklenburg County, mm-hmm. parts of a little bit of south, southern Mecklenburg County. Um, I mean, they, they would at least you, you couldn't dismiss them like you could pretty much in the 12th district before. Yeah, that's true. But I mean, th- one of the most amazing things to me is the fact that gerrymandering, drawing districts mm-hmm. to benefit a party, if this is on a political basis, is is completely legal. And as Michael Tomzik sure. pointed out in his reporting, not only is it legal, that was the state's defense is, hey, we just did it to You're get the most seats. You're pretty upfront about it. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's completely <laughs> mm-hmm. OK. You you know, it, it may seem distasteful, but both parties do it now. Um, I don't know. You know, the, the reality is, is it going to flip parties? I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that it might make some races at least a little bit more interesting yeah. where there there is uh, I recall someone <laughs> saying you know, one of the Republicans I don't know if it was David Lewis or something who was um you know helping to draw these these new maps saying hey it looks pretty good for you know 10 10 Republicans three Democrats right. but it is it does you know this new map it does make us a little bit weaker in in, in some and point exactly right. yeah and I think, yeah, yeah Democrats have in a couple right. districts has a li- at least a little bit of a better chance of getting elected and then maybe in the 12th district there's a republican might have just a, a chance to be relevant yeah. in that district yeah. at least that's true <laughs> i mean you could see somebody just just a hypothetical i mean um if they're a moderate republican yeah like an edwin peacock kind of thing right. yeah, it's it's definitely a potential so anyway it's interesting uh well <laughs> i guess we're, we're on standby here <laughs> yeah constantly yeah, it's friday as we record this and uh i hate fridays because um you know, you're especially around four thirty or so, five o'clock, and you expect some news to drop. That like, dang, my new my weekend doesn't start yet. <laughs> <laughs> it's sadly true. Yes, <laughs> Fridays are uh, worst day of the week. <laughs> Supreme Court. Uh, decisions to come down on the weekend? No, well, it could come any time. The it, Supreme Court. Yeah. Could, it's I not mean, like it's. It they can have be. no. They have, but but uh, I can't think of. I think I can't think of hearing of big news uh, during a weekend on the su- Supreme Court. That's decisions. true. No, but I also have can't you? think of. But this is a different. This, this, this is different. Like this. I know. Yeah, I, I mean, know. because we, I mean, emergency stays have been issued in twenty-four hour periods. Right. Um, I mean, you can they can literally issue it right away. And let's yeah. not forget. I mean, it doesn't have to be the whole court. No, just... it could just be Chief Justice John Roberts mm-hmm. who oversees you know emergency stay requests or these kinds of requests for the Fourth Circuit, which is which includes North Carolina. But it's, you know, this is pretty unique. And given the fact that March 15th is not that far away, especially when you consider all of the logistics and everything that has to happen to make a, an election run smoothly, which is why they they can't, you know, if these changes go into place, they simply cannot hold the congressional election on March 15th with everything else. Going to the next thing, elections in South Carolina. Tom, you had a story earlier about the reputation of South Carolina politics, how they can be dirty, <laughs> conniving, uh, just every every negative you could possibly think of. Pick your adjective. Uh, yes, pick your adjective. And boy, it's really uh, turned out to be true in many yeah, ways. <laughs> it's, uh, and to no one's surprise. Right. Um, look, this, this hasn't quite gone to the levels of, say, 2000 when the GOP was um, doing their their primary down in South Carolina then where you had of course the flyers going around saying hey did you know that John McCain had a black baby and therefore it implied a black mistress Uh, in fact again for the record he has an adopted daughter from Bangladesh different thing 
Um, but yeah, they are getting nasty. I mean, um, I, you know, if, if anybody listening, uh, check out the Post and Courier. They're doing some awesome, fun reporting. It's out of uh, Charleston. Uh, yeah, out of Charleston. Um, where they set up this thing, just just uh, basically this clearinghouse website where people could could write in or leave messages or call to complain about anything, any shenanigans they saw. And I talked to them and just to see what they had going on. And, uh, you know, there's some things about, you know, people are stealing yard signs for the, for one candidate or another, which is eh, – That's always That happens. always happens. Yeah. But then you get to the fun stuff. You get to the phone calls and you get to robocalls where you just basically have a recorded message. Those are annoying. But you also get push polls, which are created for a simple purpose. Regular polls, they want to know what you think. Push polls want to change how you think or or push you to think in a certain way. Those are becoming really prevalent, and they're all they, they seem to be done by these, you know, kind of randomly named groups that aren't directly associated with campaigns. But there was one call in particular that really got um, the Post and Courier's attention, and they're still trying to track down who did it. And I found fascinating, which is South Carolina, you know doesn't have a gigantic Spanish-speaking population. But this phone call is all in Spanish. But there are three words that are particularly easy to hear. Rubio, Cruz, and amnestia, which even if you don't speak Spanish, you can guess what Mm -hmm. amnestia means. And it's clearly an immigration attack on those two candidates. Um, They're still trying to, you know, figure out who was behind it. But that kind of stuff is going on. For the voters, for the candidates, it's just getting nutty. Ted Cruz had this this website. They launched this website called therealrubiorecord.com, and we know it was Ted Cruz's campaign because at the bottom of the website it says, paid for by the Cruz campaign, and it had all these really crazy, crazy claims about uh, Senator Marco Rubio. Um, you know, <laughs> some of the funnier ones that uh, Marco Rubio wanted to expand the powers of the Environmental Protection Agency. I can't think of a single Republican who's down with that. Um, That he was in the pocket of big sugar, which just makes you think of the sugar industrial complex. But the key one really was um, this photo of this kind of giddy-looking Marco Rubio um, just staring up lovingly at Barack Obama and the two are shaking hands. And the photo is absolutely fake. It's photoshopped. And it took about 15 minutes for that to come out. Um, it really didn't take very long for people to figure it out. And it's, you know, the Cruz campaign just is kind of rolling with it. They're all right with it. They uh, they just, you know, they found a different photo with, um, you know, what appears to be Rubio shaking hands. I haven't seen that uh, with the president. I haven't seen that one yet. But, um, yeah, it, it can get a little muddy. Well, a lot of people listening to this will know the results of the, uh, of the um, Republican primary by the by the time they listen to this, that is this Saturday, but upcoming, but next Saturday is the Democratic primary. Any signs that that is gonna is gonna be just as dirty? I don't know. Um, I mean, it 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 can be. It's still South Carolina. Politics are still played in a certain way. But the tenor of the Democratic campaign is a little bit different. I'm withholding judgment until I see how it goes. Um, we also have to see how Nevada plays out, which is having its caucus on Saturday. Um, but what we know is this, um, Hillary Clinton still has a commanding lead in the state. It's shrunk a little bit, but it's still a pretty commanding lead, especially with African-Americans. That lead may have easily been cemented on Friday when Representative Clyburn endorsed Hillary Clinton. Now he sat out of the 2008 election. He never endorsed either Barack Obama or Hillary Clinton, but this time he jumped in. And he is a very influential 
uh, lawmaker. He's the only Democrat in the South Carolina congressional delegation. He is an African-American leader of good standing for a very long time. And so that very well could help. But, you know, those candidate endorsements really mean much to I'm always people are so in these these elections, people are so one side or the other. There aren't, it doesn't seem like there's that many people don't have their mind made up. I, I question the how much those endorsements have an effect. And, and same with uh, Nikki Haley's endorse, endorsement for Marco Rubio. Well, let me stick with this endorsement and flip it on its head. You may be right. It may just solidify in the minds of people who are already going to vote for Hillary Clinton that she was going that they are going to vote for Hillary Clinton. But imagine what would have happened if he flipped and had given his endorsement to Bernie Sanders. That's big because that's a direct hit to Hillary Clinton's campaign where she needs the biggest support, which is in the African-American community. I'd like to see the data just on uh, interesting it's a data great question. to how much these these candidate endorsements uh, uh, do affect things. But then again, we were talking earlier, uh, certainly um, Sarah Palin, uh, when Nikki Haley was running for governor, it seemed like we never heard we never heard of Nikki Haley till she actually till Sarah Palin actually endorsed her, and that seemed to at least make her relevant, and people started paying attention to her. Maybe it depends on the candidate. Yeah, the, and the race. I don't think overall endorsements pack the same punch they once did. Mm-hmm. But if you get getting an endorsement and when you were expected to, in mm-hmm. essence, get that endorsement is is a bit of protection. Not getting that endorsement would have been huge. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, between Nevada and South Carolina, this is the first time the Democratic candidates in particular, well, actually the Republican candidates as well. But since we're talking with the Dems about the Dems, we'll stick to that, that they've really been tested uh, in, you know, communities of color, you know, minority communities, because, you know, Iowa, New Hampshire, mm-hmm. 91 and 94 percent white. And when you hear, you know, Bernie Sanders, big with millennials, big with white millennials so far, we won't know until Nevada and South Carolina whether he has the same appeal in in the African-American community or the Latino community. We don't know if Hillary Clinton really does have a problem getting women to vote for her until we can see whether women of color are going to vote for her. You know, it's it's still it's a it's a test for these campaigns they haven't seen quite yet. Sam Sanders had a really good piece on this week uh, where he he went to a, a predominantly African-American church and just did a sort of a round table discussion with folks. Um, and, you know, at least, you know, based on that story, you know, many of the older people were, you know, on Hillary Clinton, and there were a couple young voices you heard that said, "Hey, you know, I, I think this Bernie Sanders guy is, is intriguing." So that's a good piece. Go back and listen. And it's all going to be coming to North Carolina <laughs> after that. Yeah, we've got Super Tuesday first on right. March first, and then it will get to North Carolina. But the good news is, for people who are tired of constant, constant wall-to-wall coverage, it's going to continue. Uh, but at least you'll have different backdrops because now that and once uh, South Carolina is done, um, you start having multiple states having primaries on the same day. So at least you'll be able to look at different skylines where you hear about the same people. And then there's always the chance to look forward to June. <laughs> <laughs> yes, congressional races in in, in North Carolina. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, okay, guys. Well, thanks a lot. Another one is in the is another show is put to bed. Good night, everybody. All right. (laughs) 